Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. By means of introduction, I want to share a quote with you that's circled around for a long time, and maybe you've heard of it. It says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Isn't that how life is? Everybody wants to spend eternity with God in heaven, but nobody wants to die. It's interesting, as a minister, you get asked a lot of questions. And sometimes, questions that are asked are in relation to this passage. I was asked about uh, the resurrection one time, that let's say, suppose I was swimming in the ocean, and a shark came and bit off my right leg, and another shark came and bit off my left leg, and then a big whale came and ate the rest of my torso. On the resurrection day, would that body rise from the grave? It's an interesting question, huh? Or what about, let's say somebody passes away and they, you know, were struggling a little financially, so they decided to, that they were going to have their body cremated. You know, because it's a little bit cheaper in our day and time. And so they get their body cremated, and they take their ashes, and they spread their ashes over at Roanoke Mountain. Then they go over at 12 o'clock Knob, and they spread some ashes there. Then they go up on top of the Bent Mountain and spread the rest of the ashes there. On the resurrection day, will that body rise again? Well... I may not have all the questions or answers to life, but let me just answer that very simply. Yes, God's Word says on the day of resurrection that the body and the spirit and soul are going to be reunited and we will have a glorified body. And that's one of the things this passage is speaking of. And in fact, that's one of the issues that the Apostle Paul was trying to relay to these people in Thessalonica. Uh, before I move any further, I want to share with you that I want you to walk away with this thought, and it is this thought that I have labeled as my sermon title today. Jesus Christ is coming again. Jesus Christ is coming again. As you study this passage of Scripture, it can clearly be emphasized that we may disagree or debate about the timing of His second coming and some of the details surrounding that event, but what we can agree on is that Jesus Christ is coming again. According to the word of God, he said it in the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that he was coming again. You have in the book of Acts when he ascended up in the glory that two men came and, and they were in white apparel and looked at those apostles and say, why are you gazing up to heaven? The same that ascended is the same one that's going to descend later on. And he, I want to just briefly share with you that. We're reading and studying this book of the Bible on Sunday mornings. And the Apostle Paul goes to Thessalonica. They plant a church. They're there for about 30 days. The, they did this in Jason's house in Acts chapter 17. And then the authorities came and they assaulted Jason's house and persecuted them and sent Paul and Silas away. And a church was birthed. And then Paul's writing back to try to disciple these converts and try to help them and try to answer some of their questions and concerns about the second coming and about the rapture. And about some of those details. If you've done any study of theology, you know that a lot of people are on different pages when it comes to the, the second coming of Christ. 
And it's interesting. This is probably the most famous passage in the New Testament about the rapture, but it doesn't give us the exact details on when the rapture is going to ultimately take place. But I want to share with you, before we dive into really the purpose of my sermon this morning, I want to share with you just, just for food for thought, is that there's a, a few different views about the second coming and the rapture. But I believe that the second coming, that Jesus is going to come again, and it is a two-phase second coming. The first phase is in the rapture, and the second phase is when he comes and plants his feet on the Mount of Olives. So whether or not somebody claims to believe in dispensationalism, everybody has to agree that there was a time period before the law, such as Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and then when Moses comes, he establishes the law, then you have the time period of God dealing with his people in the Old Testament with the law, and then you have the time period where Jesus, God, comes and lives within humanity and dies on the cross, and now we live in the, in the time period of the church, and now God is using the church as a means to advance his kingdom. And this time period is going to come to an end. And so whether or not you uh, hold to dispensational theology, you have to agree in those four simple time periods or dispensations. And this time period that you and I are living in is called the church age. And this will come to an end when Christ comes again. And so with that in mind, when we get to the rapture, there's a few different theories. You have the pre-tribulational rapture. You have the mid-tribulational rapture. You have the post-tribulational rapture. You have the uh, partial rapture. You have the pre-wrath view of the rapture. You have five main theories. And the one that fits best with the Word of God, when you're studying the Old Testament books of Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel, and you're combining them with the words of Christ in the New Testament with the Pauline and Petrine epistles, the one that fits best with the book of Revelation and all of Scripture is the pre-tribulational rapture. And that is you have a time period of seven years, and by the way, the Bible reveals that that entire seven years is the great tribulation or the entire period where God is going to, to eventually pour out his wrath. Now, we, as you study the book of Revelation and in times Bible prophecy, the first three and a half years is a time period of peace. And the second three and a half years is a time period where God just unleashes his judgment upon the world. But when you study the 70th week in the book of Daniel and some of the other passages, the entire seven years is called the time of Jacob's trouble. And it's the time period at the end of the Gentiles the Bible speaks of. So you also have what's called the mid-trib. So the mid-trib says that after the first three and a half years of the rapture, or after the rapture, or excuse me, the tribulation period, then the rapture is going to take place. Then you have what's called the post-tribulational view, where the three and a half years of peace... And the three and a half years of utter judgment of God unleashing upon humanity is being poured out. And all believers will go through that. And so they say at the end of that is when the rapture takes place. Then you have what's called the partial rapture. And that means that only those who are anticipating, awaiting, and looking, and living in a manner that's pleasing to God will go up when the rapture takes place. And then you have what's called the pre-wrath view. And... By the way, sometimes people mistake this view for other views, but the pre-wrath view is the one that says whatever time, during the tribulational period, the moment that God thunders down his wrath, 
upon the world is when the rapture will take place. Now, there's, there's problems with, with several of these views, but, but I want to share with you that the one that best fits the Word of God is the pre-tribulational view. That is, Jesus is going to call, as the trumpet is going to sound, the, the rapture is going to take place. And then during these seven years of tribulation, the, while the saints are up in glory, is when the judgment seat of Christ is going to take place, is when the marriage supper of the Lamb, we believe, is going to take place. So it's interesting, if you believe in a post-tribulation rapture, what, what, when are you going to have time for all this stuff? And then if you believe in a post-tribulation rapture, what, what is God going to step down, throw down his wrath, and then say, all right, church, come back up, and then let's go back down again so that I can establish my earthly reign. Well, let's see, you have problems with all these different views. Then you say that, 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 that the pre-wrath view says that, well, God's going to pour out his wrath. And yeah, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and a sound mind, and he has not appointed us to wrath. He's not done that. And God likens the entire seven years to his judgment. And so the one that best fits the word of God is the pre-tribulational view. And so when we're studying these verses, I'm coming from that view and our church comes from that view. And I would like to say that I believe there are solid Christians and theologians who might disagree with what I have just shared with you and that we can still fellowship one with another. We just may not see eye to eye in some of these eschatology or end times Bible prophecy events. As I said before, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Now, with all that in mind, I want to ask and answer a key question. How do we respond to Christ's second coming? How do we respond? As a child of God, how are we supposed to respond? I mean, the Bible talks about his second coming. We might debate and disagree about some of the details of his second coming, but nonetheless, he is coming again. Whether you like it or not. Whether Hollywood wants to admit it, Jesus is coming again. Whether the evolutionist wants to uh, say it, Jesus is coming again. No matter what anybody else says, the Word of God declares that He's coming again, and He said it Himself. In fact, Jesus said this is a verse we go to in times of, of memorial services for times of comfort, but, but Jesus said these words. He said, in my Father's house, there are many mansions, and I am going to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come and back and receive you unto myself. Now, if Jesus said it, that settles it for me, my dear friends. <laughs> Jesus is coming again, but now I want to share with you three thoughts about how we as believers in 2018 can respond to Christ's second coming. As I read verses 13 through 15, I wrote down, first of all, warn people about Christ's second coming. Amen. Warn people about Christ's second coming. How many of you here today, by a show of hands, believe that Jesus Christ is coming again? You believe he's coming again? Praise the Lord. That's good. You know, there's some people out there that don't believe he is. So I'm glad that we're all in agreement that he is coming again. And now God has called us to warn those about his second coming. You know, let's suppose we're all going to take a road trip to Franklin County. Let's say we're going to go to that ice cream place back somewhere in Hardy or Burnt Chimney or wherever it is. We're traveling down 220, and I am leading the pack in my nice... Fancy Chevy Cobalt. <laughs> and we get right into Boone's Mill. We just passed a sign about how you're leaving Clearbrook. And we, we get there where the bridge is. Before you go down the little hill, they get to Naff Road. And I pull up 
and I saw a couple cars standing by the side of the road and the flashers was on and I noticed that the bridge was out. The entire bridge was gone. Would you say that it would be a good idea for me to get out of my car and start warning you that the bridge was out? Or would it be a better idea for me to just sit in my car, you know, and turn my radio up a little louder and enjoy some peace and quiet by myself? It would be foolish for me, for all of you to be following me and for me not to pull over and start waving my hands and, and shouting, hey, slow down, the bridge is out. Be utter foolishness. And it is just as foolish for us as believers to know that Jesus is coming, that God's wrath will be poured out upon this world, and for us to just stand by and watch people go by. You see, in the bridge analogy and illustration, people will, will maybe drive off and die. But in our situation, it's more than just death. Yep, people are going to die. Ten out of ten die. Everybody is going to die unless you're Enoch and Elijah in the Old Testament or you go up in the rapture. But those who die without Christ will spend eternity separated from God in a horrible place the Bible calls hell. We are called to go out and to preach this gospel to those that are in the world just as Noah in the Old Testament did what he did about the flood. Can you imagine Noah going out and and saying, hey guys, uh, I just want to let you know that, that it's going to rain. And it's going to rain so much that we're just going to flood the entire world. And everybody's like, what is rain? It's never rained before. Noah, you done lost your mind. You know what, Noah? We're going we're gonna to send you to uh, the, the psychiatric ward because you done lost your mind. Are you crazy? <laughs> imagine what they're saying to, to, to Noah. And then imagine when he gets his whole family and they start building a giant boat to fit all the animals in. They're all looking at Noah like, man, Noah, you sure your brain didn't fall out your ear last night? When it started raining, they didn't think Noah was crazy, did they? When the flood came and started and God's judgment was being poured out in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9, they didn't think he was crazy after it all took place. And so somebody might look at you and say, man, you're just one of those crazy Bible-thumping Christians and, and you're just a fanatic. Well, if that's the way you want to describe me as a fanatic, then I guess I'm a fanatic. I'm a fanatic about Jesus Christ, his gospel, that he's the only way to heaven, that there's no other way apart from him that somebody can get saved. He's the only name that we can cry out to to receive salvation. If you say that's just crazy and fanatic, well, then I guess I am. If you say, well, I just don't believe in all that Bible stuff, well, you don't have to. But I'm called to warn you. And maybe you're here this, this morning and you've never been warned about the second coming of Christ. Christ is coming and you have a choice to make. You can bow down and serve him and worship him now or you will have to bow down and, and, and declare he is Lord when it is eternally too late. Warn people about Christ's second coming. Look in verse 13. It says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. To be ignorant means to be without knowledge. Doesn't mean somebody is is stupid. It's not what it means. It just means that they don't have the certain knowledge about something. And so he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. So he says, my brothers and sisters in Christ concerning them which are asleep. Now, this does not mean that they lay down and took a nap on Sunday afternoon between church services. It means that they died. And it says that you sorrow not. Now, I believe that all of us are going to go through grief. The longer you live, the more people that you love that are, you're going to see die. 
if, unless you go before them. And it says that, that here, when we, as Christians, we don't have to grieve like the world grieves. We have a hope found in Jesus. And that in verse number 14, it says, if we believe, this word means to have faith in or to entrust. So if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and in his death and his resurrection, we don't have to grieve like those who have no hope grieve in this world. It says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep are those who have died in Jesus will God bring with them. Verse 15 says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Warn people about Christ's second coming. That's the application I have received from these verses. Now I want to share with you from verses 16 and 17 the second of three thoughts today. How can we respond to Christ's second coming? First of all, warn people about Christ's second coming. Secondly, as I read verses 16 and 17, be ready for Christ's second coming. Be ready for Christ's second coming. One of the arguments about the partial rapture is that you have to be living in complete holiness to God in order for the rapture to take place for you to go up with him. It's interesting, when the Apostle Paul was writing to the church of Corinth, the church of Corinth was a carnal church. They were full of all sorts of sin. And in the 15th chapter, the Apostle Paul is writing in the same context of all the other things that were going on. He says, we all shall be changed. So it doesn't matter if you are uh, so close to God that, that you are holier than thou, or if you're so far away from God and you still call yourself a Christian, when the rapture takes place, you're going up with them. And we are called to be ready. And this leads me to this thought, that the second coming of Christ is urgent. The second coming of Christ is imminent. It can happen at any moment, at any time. The Bible says that of that day and hour knows no man. The Father only. When Christ was on this earth in his ministry, he was not allowed to know when the Father would release God the Son to come back and set up his earthly kingdom. When you read the book of Acts, and when you read the letters by the Apostle Paul and by John, they were anticipating him to come back the day after he left. They lived in anticipation and in the fact and in, in the context that Christ is going to come back at any moment. We don't know when he's coming, so we're going to live in a manner that's pleasing to him every single day of our lives. And so God has called us to, yes, live holy, to live set apart lives for his honor and glory, not so we can point our fingers around and say, ah, yeah, 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 he shouldn't be doing that. Not, not any of that stuff, but that, that we can be pleasing God with everything to where when he does come back, he doesn't find us living in sin. If Jesus Christ were to call you home right now by death or by rapture, would you be ready to meet him? In everything that you're going through in your life, would you honestly be ready right now? Are there sin in your life that's unconfessed? unconfessed is there things going on in your life that you know you need to get right with God and if he were to come right now would he be pleased be ready for Christ's second coming the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout he is going to come back 
The Bible says the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So at this time of the resurrection, you see that those who have already passed away, so if you have loved ones who are Christians, they are going to be resurrected at that moment and their bodies are going to go up first in the rapture. And then they're going to receive the glorified body that we speak of. And then here, the Bible says that, that the dead shall rise first. Then Paul says this. He says, then we. If he didn't believe in imminent return of Christ, why in the world did he say we? He would have said, then those that are living in the days to come. No, he said, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. These two words, caught up. Say caught up with me on three. One, two, three. Caught up. This, is, this does not mean I'm going to get caught up in all my schoolwork or I'm going to get caught up in all my laundry or caught up in all my cleaning or my housework. It means to be raptured. And so I will like to pause and say this, that I believe in multiple raptures. You say, well, you done lost your mind. Well, hear me out now. When Enoch was taken, he was raptured. When Elijah was taken, he was raptured in the Old Testament. That's what it means to be caught up. When the New Testament saints will be raptured out of here to meet the Lord in the air that this is speaking of, there's a rapture. When the two witnesses in the book of Revelation are taken up, they are going to be raptured out of here as well. So here, that's what it means to be taken up, to be suddenly taken up out of the world. And it says that we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The psalmist in Psalm 23 said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. From this moment forward, if this were to happen right now, we would leave this world of sin and sorrow and enter into the greatest eternal paradise called heaven that our mind would ever observe. I want to draw your attention to one last verse in this passage. And the final thought. How can we respond to the second coming of Christ? Well, in verses 13 through 15, I wrote down, warn people about his second coming. Verses 16 to 17, I wrote down, secondly, be ready for Christ's second coming. But in verse number 18, I wrote down this one. And this is probably the greatest point of application that we have as a church body here for each other. Comfort believers with Christ's second coming. Comfort believers with Christ's second coming. You say, well, every time I turn on the news, I'm disgusted at what I see. Well, you should be, because we're living in the world. And the world, the Bible says, is going to wax worse and worse the longer life goes on. You say, well, we're just seeing all this crazy mayhem going on, all these murders, all these rapes, all this, uh, you know, human trafficking, all this worldly garbage is going on in our world today. Well, we have this comfort that Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus is still ruling and reigning in, in his heavenly throne, and he is coming back again. And when he comes back again, he's going to take away all that sin, all that sorrow, and he's going to establish a kingdom for 1,000 years. He's going to rule and reign. And there we will experience peace on this earth. I know that, uh, you know, some of the great people of our nation have advocated for peace and for, for all the different things. But we will not see peace until Jesus declares peace in the millennial kingdom. And then after that, when we go to glory and spend forever with God in heaven. 
you know, we think about how wicked those people were in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. We think about how wicked those people were in the days of Noah. But we need to look at the mirror and take note that those were people just like us, and we are just as wicked and sinful as them as a whole. And let me establish this thought for you as we come to a close. That Jesus is going to come back. He's going to set up his earthly reign. And for a thousand years, he is going to be the king on this earth. And at the end of a thousand years, he's going to release the great enemy from chains. And the devil's going to come back for a short period of time. The Bible doesn't say how long. For just a short period of time, he's going to sway all of those people, many people, to reject the message of the gospel. For 1,000 years. So you're going to literally see people that are going to be ushered into the kingdom. We believe those believers that are, in fact, saved during the tribulational period, who will live through uh, certain parts of it, is going to be uh, there on the earth, and then they're going to establish families. And so you have to understand, just think what your mind is capable of if you do not have the influence of the devil tempting you to sin. Just think all that can be accomplished with the human mind. Think about all that we've accomplished right now today. With all the technology, I mean, for crying out loud, I'm holding a computer in my hand called a cell phone. It can do just as much, if not more, than a lot of computers. And at the end of that thousand years, we are reminded of how sinful and depraved the mind of man is. And as we come to a close, I want to comfort you with this thought. Keep looking up because Jesus is coming again. Now, to conclude my sermon, I'm going to do things just a little bit different and pray that my voice will be able to hold out. But I decided that I wanted to write a song about the second coming of Christ. And I just want to share it with you this morning. So, Josh, if you're back there, just switch the mics to this one. Not only is Jesus coming again, but I believe that we are called to praise him. And the song that I wrote is called, I'm Gonna Praise Him. There's something that I need you to know Heaven is my home and I'm going there Gonna meet the Lord up in the air I'm gonna praise Him with what I say I'm gonna praise Him every day I'm gonna praise Him with my song I'm gonna praise Him all day long died on Calvary He shed His blood for you and me He rose up from the dead And He's coming back for us again I'm gonna praise Him with what I say I'm gonna praise Him every day I'm 
I'm gonna praise him with my song. I'm gonna praise him all day long. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.